You're impossibly fast and strong. Your skin is pale white and ice cold. Your eyes change color. And sometimes you speak like, like you're from a different time. You never eat or drink anything. You don't go out in the sunlight. How old are you? Seventeen. How long have you been seventeen? A while. <laughs> I know what you are. See it. You're a wizard, Harry. It's only a model. Welcome to Welcome to Storybrooke. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And this is actually a really good episode. Even though it advances the plot 0%. Oh yeah, literally the plot picks up maybe five minutes where the plot of last episode ended how can it possibly be that in an episode where they actually do the thing and reunite excalibur and the dark one dagger it feels like nothing happened it's because basic well lots of important stuff happened but it was all in flashbacks so it's just a lot of backstory you're saying yes so this is uh we should say episode seven of season five nimue or book seven it's only a model so, as a reminder, last episode, Emma got Rumple to liberate the part of Excalibur she didn't have from the stone, which it was stuck in for some reason. I'm assuming we'll find out later. It seems weird, but okay. Yeah, yeah, it got stuck back in the stone. Also, we saw Merlin get trapped in a tree. We got confirmation that he was trapped in a tree this episode. Yes, not turned into a tree, trapped in a tree. By a mysterious dark one who's wearing a mask, so you can tell it's, uh... Gonna be a pretty lady. Yeah. Because that, that's that's basically what face-concealing masks are for. They're for pretty ladies, or characters who've already been established. Yes. And we knew it wasn't going to be a character who was already established, because it takes place a thousand years before... Everything that went down went down. Correct. Uh, now, this episode deals a lot with the mythology of the Dark One. I think that's part of why this episode is so good. Because, you know, we talked about how we want them to go back to their season one roots, do more mashups. And this isn't really a mashup, but it is folding the story of King Arthur into the bigger Once Upon a Time mythos. And, you know, that's not nothing. Okay, so do we get confirmation of, you know, the Judeo-Christian God in this episode or not? Because I feel like it's pretty vague. No, we do not. Because they don't explain what the Holy Grail is, so we definitely do not. But this episode does deal a lot with the Holy Grail, but also leans really heavily on Greek mythology. The flame Prometheus stole is like a major plot point. Well, I mean, this is one of those all-mythologies-are-true universes. So mm. so that makes sense. You'd think that would lead to more issues than it does. Well, so all-mythologies-are-true universes 
are usually pretty hesitant to pull in Judeo-Christian mythology. And by bringing in King Arthur, they really couldn't avoid doing it, but they tried their darndest to avoid it. In the second half of this season, we're going to get some very, very heavy... Zeus is also the Abrahamic god stuff, which super doesn't work. Yeah, when we said fairy tale mashups, that's not what we meant. Yeah, it's weird and awkward, especially if you're familiar with Zeus at all. Although I guess it is borrowing from Disney's adaptation of Hercules. Uh-huh. Where Zeus is more Well, I think a lot of adaptations of Greek mythology make Zeus more like the Judeo-Christian god and make Hades more like the devil because they can't help but be showing it through a modern Judeo-Christian lens. lens. Exactly. Yeah. So, I know you haven't watched a lot of Stargate, Mm -hmm. but you know the premise of Stargate is that all of the Egyptian gods... Were aliens that came to blurdy blur and... Yeah. Yeah. And they fight many gods throughout the course of the show... And in the final season, they meet the Ori, who are the aliens who came to Earth impersonating the Judeo-Christian gods. And that season is a hot mess of them trying to figure out how to not say God is just an alien, but also stick to the premise of the show, which is that God is just an alien. Yeah, that sounds awkward. Super awkward. Alright, so now that Emma has got both halves of the sword and the Dark One dagger, she's going to stick them both together. Meanwhile, thousands of years ago. Well, thousand of years ago. Yes, before the age of Arthur, the Chiron tells us. Because they can't say, like, BC or AD or anything like that because we're not acknowledging the Judeo-Christian God. The Age of Arthur, much like the Age of Ultron, lasted about a weekend. That's about right. Anyway, we see a sexy, but probably not powerful Merlin, because he looks like he's in a lot of pain in the desert, wandering through the desert with a... Dead meat guy. Yes, with an expendable guy. They both have, uh... Bindings that have been broken. Yes, so they have escaped from something, although we know not what. Yes, Merlin is all sweaty and asymmetrical. He's got this kind of cloak thing thrown over him. It's a pretty good look for him, not so much for his companion. Well, I mean, it's Merlin that's making it work. They look like they've escaped from an old biblical epic, though. I'm surprised not to see Charlton Heston yelling in the background. Yes, this is definitely what's happening. This is a very Ben-Hur thing. So they find a mysterious cup just sort of sitting on a rock in the middle of this desert that they're wandering through. We really don't get a lot of setup for what led up to this situation. You know, it's kind of weird, right? Yeah. It's just Merlin and some guy are wandering through the desert when all of a sudden they encounter a cup. You know, I just realized all of Once Upon a Time is the Zeppo episode of Buffy. Where we're, we're seeing the story that we're meant to see, but there's all this other stuff that we know is more interesting happening off screen. Except in the Zeppo, that's the joke, and in Once Upon a Time, it's because they don't understand what's interesting about the story. God, I love the Zeppo. That was also my issue with the Rise of the Guardians movie, where I'm like, okay, yes, 
Jack Frost's emo adventures in Sadland, there's a much more interesting story here in the background, which I'm assuming is what the books were about. They're based on books. Uh, the movie was based on a series of books by William Joyce. Right. Well, weren't they going to, didn't they want to do a series of movies? So the first one is Jack Frost, but there were supposed to be a bunch of them, but then the first one wasn't successful enough. I think so. I mean, I, I'm not trying to smack talk it. It's a fairly solid movie. It's just, it's one of those things where the mythology is so interesting and you feel like you're really getting shortchanged on the story. Gotcha. I haven't seen Rise of the Guardians. All I've seen is an extensive amount of fan art portraying Elsa and Jack as lovers. Mm. And also... Well, that wouldn't work out because his ice is much better animated than hers. And also one fan video that a person made with Hiccup and Jack Frost performing do you want to build a snowman oh god okay i love the internet <laughs> the, the internet's pretty great yeah anyway in the tv show that we watch once upon a time merlin and his expendable friend are about to learn about consent yes because when merlin sees the cup he's like look a cup that's mysteriously full of water on a rock in the middle of the desert that seems kind of weird to me like it looks like it might be a gift from the gods. We should probably, you know... Investigate before we just run up and grab it. I was going to say we, should, uh, we shouldn't we should pull an Odysseus here. We should thank the gods before taking a drink from this miraculous cup. But his expendable friend runs up and grabs the chalice anyway and poofs to dust. This is why you do not ignore the hot actor. It's true. The hot actor is probably the lead. You should definitely follow what they say. But no, the guy's like, no, no, this is definitely a story where I'm like the comic relief. I'll be fine. Touches the uh, cup, disintegrates. And Merlin looks at the cup, and he looks up at the sky, and he asks permission to drink from the cup. He doesn't really get permission, though. He just asks permission, and then he very, very carefully picks up the cup and takes a drink. Yep, and he's fine. In fact, he's better than fine. The gods reward him for his politeness slash hotness by granting him magic. That is a nice combination of fairy tales and Greek mythology. That he's rewarded both for his manners and his attractiveness. Because fairy tales reward you for manners and the Greek gods make people that they think are hot immortal. Yeah, Although, he really gets the better deal than most people who the Greek gods find hot. It's, yes, absolutely. It's sort of a double-edged sword. But no, after taking a drink from the cup, he puts his hand on the ground, and suddenly grass and trees and shit appear. Also a tower. Yes, Merlin's tower. The tower that we have seen before where all of the magical shit goes down. Yeah. So we know that we are in Camelot. Having drunk from the chalice... Merlin has magic and has basically created Camelot. Good for him. We come back from credits to see Emma in the past making a dream catcher because that's what she does now. And Hook is super pissed about it. Well, the whole storybook crew is in Granny's trying to figure out what to do because you'll recall they now know that Arthur is evil, but also he totally took Excalibur, which they need so that they can reunite the blades. I don't really get why they didn't just take it from him at the time. I mean, what he was had he a gonna, whole army. That Merlin knocked out. I don't know. But they need to go back into the main castle of Camelot, get the blade, so that they can forge the blade together with the Dark One dagger, 
and make Excalibur whole so that they can cut the Dark One out of Emma. Now, they're talking about how to, you know, get into the castle. Hook's being a giant baby about the fact that Emma's still the Dark One. Dude, she's been the Dark One for, like, a week. You're going to need to learn to deal with a lot more than that if you're going to be dating Emma long term. Yeah, he's, he's basically yelling at Merlin for not being the instant solution to all of their problems. Merlin's like, you know literally what I said is the plan to get the thing that will save Emma, right? I can't possibly be helping more than I am right now. Also, um, I lost my true love to the Dark One already, so maybe don't come at me. Yeah, like, I managed to not be a giant asshole about this, so maybe just cut me a tiny bit of slack, dude. And speaking of the past, we cut back to 500 years ago, where we see Merlin in the place that is Camelot, but Camelot when it was just a bunch of huts, not Camelot when there was a giant castle that Arthur artificially created with the mists of Avalon. So Merlin's kind of, I'm trying to think of a good way to say this, but pulling a Jesus? Yeah, he's just walking around. Healing people. Yelling at fig trees. Making loaves and fishes. Yeah. Also, he's... This isn't a Jesus thing. Just, he has a young apprentice who is presumably the sorcerer's apprentice who is dressed like Arthur in Sword in the Stone. That's just needlessly confusing. Right? So, he sees a young woman who looks distressed and also super hot. Yeah, super hot. And he's like hey, you look sad, what's wrong? And she's like, well, I was having a pretty good time, you know, hanging out in my village, petting my goat, talking to my family when this dude with a mask came and he sort of burned everything down and murdered everyone. Because she was in her garden, she was able to flee and not get wiped out by the man in the mask with everyone else. But all she has is what was literally in her hands when she ran away. The seeds of the middle mist flower. Mm. Yeah. Merlin asks... So what what would you like? And she's like, well, I feel like my best revenge is to live and live well. So I'm going to plant these seeds and, you know, try to start my life anew. And Merlin's like, that sounds like a good idea. Go for it. Okay, look. Everyone who says living well is the best revenge is full of shit. No, as, as Dipper Pine said in Gravity Falls, revenge is the best revenge. Yes. Merlin uses magic to make the seeds instantly grow so that she can have instant satisfaction of seeing the flowers. She asks him if she's going to make a home here. Apparently everyone just knows Merlin can see the future. And he's like, huh, for some reason, I can't see the future with you. She's like Bella Swan. I was about to say, she's got, they've got a Bella Swan Edward thing going. She gives him her name. It's Nimue. So as a quick catch-up for those of you who aren't super up on your Arthurian mythology, Nimue is the Lady of the Lake. She's also Arthur's apprentice-slash-lover, which isn't super cool. Well, I mean, it's fine. Well, I, th- I, I like to think it's more of a the situation we set up earlier this season, where Merlin's like the super-sexy wizard T.A., and she's, like, in his class and sleeping with him, where it's not super cool, but it's not like he's her teacher-teacher. Well, it's actually the opposite of all of that, because she refused to be with Merlin until he taught her magic. Oh, huh. Good for her. Right? Maybe that'll come up in this episode. Yeah, I guess it kind of does. Back in the flashback, well, I guess forward in the flashback, 
in Camelot times. Right, so in the... What were, what were we calling it before? The near past? The middle future. Yes, okay. In the, in the near past, in the middle future. Merlin and Emma are talking about their goals in order to reforge... Excalibur and the Dark One Dagger, they're going to need the original flame, the fire that Prometheus stole from the gods. Because Excalibur slash the Dark One Dagger is made out of god material, they're going to need god fire to forge them together. Makes sense. And to do that, they're going to need Emma to access the first evil? Yeah. The original Dark One, the Dark One that is inside of Emma, because that's how it works with magical possession, right? All of the things that came before you reside in you still. And Merlin lets her know that once she kind of opens herself up to that, she might lose control. And the Dark One is basically the only thing that can kill Merlin. So he might be in hella trouble once she lets the first evil take control. Yeah. I think he's showing a lot of trust in her right now because he's like, in order to get the Dark One out, you are going to need to face her. I mean, face the original Dark One. We're not using gendered pronouns here for some reason. Right, I was going to say, is he trusting Emma, or is he on some level trusting Nimue? Oh no, you spoiled who the first Dark One is. But yes, he tells her that he's going to have to open herself in order to purge the world of the Dark One. She must, on some degree, embrace the Dark One, and that means opening herself to evil. But then she must fight it and win. Yes. And she's like... Uh, and he's like, no pressure. He does. He's, he, he says no pressure. He's so cute. Hook goes to see Emma off as she goes to, you know, no big deal. Just get the spark of all mankind and fight the first evil. And Hook's like, wow, that sounds like a lot. I'm really worried. Here's a ring. I think we've sort of hit a turning point on Hook where I just find him deeply, deeply annoying from this point in the show on. I mean, he's fine. He's not like David and Mary Margaret bad, but I'm just done with him. And yeah, no, I, I, I don't like Hook here. But luckily, this awful schmoopy David and Mary Margaret garbage is interrupted by Merlin, who's like, hey, stop sucking face with your boyfriend. We gotta go. Oh, yeah. And then we cut back to years earlier. So it started with thousands of years earlier. Then it was 500 years earlier. Now it's just unnamed number of years earlier. Although theoretically, it's not too many years after the 500 years. Well, Nimue is there and she hasn't aged. So yeah. Merlin is wearing a very nice shirt. So he's smelling the middle mist flowers. And he did the spell instantly to make them grow. But wouldn't it have been a cooler way to show the passage of time if he had just made them sprout a little bit, and then we could have had him here smelling the full-grown blooms? Yeah, that would have been good. Anyway. The important thing is, it is a few years later. There's a settlement here. It's sort of more of an active village than we see it in Arthur's time before he uses the uh, mists. Yeah, I think Merlin was really doing a lot to keep it running, and once he was gone, that's when it really fell into disarray. Like, it was broken because Merlin was in a tree. Like, hey, Arthur, maybe if you actually tried running the kingdom, the kingdom would, like... Run? Yeah. Weird, right? And you know what? I said that they should have used the Middle Mist to show the passage of time, but actually, I spoke too soon, because... The Middle Mist are no longer just contained to the one patch where Nimue planted them. They are fucking everywhere now, so I guess they are doing that. So, Nimue is back in town, and Merlin has decided that she has unlocked his backstory. 
Yeah, because he wants to be with her to marry her and grow old, but there's a problem. There's a reason he can't. Actually, this is borrowing really, really heavily from Twilight. I didn't realize it until we talked about how she's got something that stops him from seeing her future, and we'll get into it more as the episode goes on, but there's actually a lot of Twilight in this episode. Well, I mean, I think a lot of eternal life love stories have these elements, with the one who doesn't grow old and therefore is blocked from being with the one who does. So, he tells her that he's going to live forever because he found the Holy Grail, and she's like, the Holy Grail, you don't need to explain anymore because that would be awkward for, you know, the writers. The Holy Grail? That's like the best of cups. It's a top-tier grail, that's for sure. <laughs> so, he's... Wait, what does the word holy even mean in this context? Like, you're right, the writers wanted to not be awkward about the holy grail, but the very word holy is weird. Is it a Greek gods thing in this context? Because, again, Prometheus is a very strong part of this episode. I I don't know. Anyway, Nimue is like, you've got the Holy Grail? And he's like, yeah, but the thing is, I want to be with you. I want to marry you, except I'm going to live forever. And it's going to be really, really, it's going to be a huge bummer for me to watch you get old and die while I stay super hot forever. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to find a way to sever myself from my immortality so we can both get old and die together. She's like, or you could just keep me young and eternally alive. Yeah, she's like, hot alternate take, you let me drink from the Holy Grail and I stay young forever? He tells her that life is full of moments that are as precious as diamonds, and if they were too plentiful, they would be worthless. Diamonds are worthless. We have an artificially restricted supply of shiny rocks. So actually, it's a great metaphor! Like the chipped cup? He's ar- yes! Yes! He's- He could give her eternal life right now, but he's not, so that the moments have more value. Just the way that we create an artificial scarcity with diamonds to give them a value that they don't otherwise have. You know, it's a good metaphor. Yeah. Good job, Merlin. But, yes. uh, What can't die doesn't truly live. Blah, blah, blah. You know, that's bullshit. No, I'm sorry. Immortal, Immortal life. They should go for it. Yeah. I mean, if this is still an option, it's an option at any time. You could try being immortal with her for a while and see how it pans out. Also, if the problem is that you don't want to watch everyone you know grow old and die, I mean, make her immortal. Problem solved. Yeah. Apparently you did something to your apprentice. I mean, he got older, but... Yeah, but he he lived for 500 years. Anyway, Merlin decrees that he's going to become mortal he takes a leaf and he wraps it up into a ring and then he uses magic to turn it to gold he could have used his magic to just magic up a gold ring out of nowhere wrapping the leaf around her finger first that was just a style question yeah merlin's got style is what i'm saying this show should be about him that would be great but anyway they run off to go make merlin mortal but somehow miss the fact that they're being watched by a creepy dude in a mask. Huh, must be a friend of theirs. (laughs) Yes. So, back in Granny's, the Storybook crew and Merlin are trying to come up with a plan to get into Arthur's castle and take, you know, Excalibur. And Regina suggests that everyone just shut up, let her teleport in there, 
take it, and leave. And Zelina is in the background making you're also stupid noises and gestures because, remember, she can't talk. Regina took her voice a few episodes ago. Regina, for some reason, gives her her voice back so that she can say what she's thinking. And what she's thinking is a fresh pot of bullshit. Yeah, she says you can't storm the front door because you'll die. You can't just create a distraction because Arthur will hide or dispose of the sword while you're creating a distraction. And if you just bamf into his room, what if you bamf right in front of a sword? That's stupid. Any way you go, someone could just stab you. Yeah, clearly Regina should just teleport in and grab the sword and teleport out. Also, we've seen that she has the ability to teleport with such agility that she can avoid sword strike. It's literally in the first scene of this TV show. Yeah, I mean... (sighs) The writers just really needed there to be a reason that they had to storm the castle, and the problem is there's not a good logical reason why Regina can't do this, so instead they let Zelina talk them out of it, even though it doesn't make sense. Yes, storming the castle is dumb, but sneaking into the castle through a back way she discovered is not dumb. So Zelina bargains with them that if they will take off her cuff, she will show them the secret way that she broke out of the castle. Well... The secret way that she noticed to break out of the castle, because she was trying to escape the whole time, obviously. Yeah. Anyway, she takes them to a grate in the middle of the woods. A grate? Great! Zelina's like, yeah, I found this perfect secret entrance into the castle, except I was stopped by this big honking grate. And thus, the inventor of the grate slept soundly in his bed. (laughs) So, Mary Margaret's weirdly pissy towards Zelina. Zelina disguised herself as a midwife and tried to steal her baby. Yeah, I guess it tracks that Mary Margaret would be somewhat miffed at her. Yeah. So, Regina bamps away the gate, and what's a pretty cool-looking piece of magic? She just kind of makes a grandiose gesture, and it disappears. I thought her gesture was weird. It was more circular than her magical gestures usually are. They're all going to go in, but... They're leaving Selena under the watchful guard of Mary Margaret. Oh, that'll be great. That will be awesome. I mean, Mary Margaret can handle a tied-up, magic-powerless pregnant woman, right? Oh, surely, surely. She was a warrior queen, after all. Or warrior princess, I guess. Bandit queen? I don't know. Anyway, up in Merlin's tower... Arthur is well aware that they are about to storm the castle, so he's making them a magical stew to protect them. A magical acid stew. He's not happy that they freed Merida. Neither are we. I think he's also pretty pissed that Lancelot is out there walking around free to bone other people's wives. So a couple of guards come into the room because Arthur has summoned them. He has one of them give him his helmet so that Arthur can demonstrate Yeah, Arthur tells us, by the way, for all of the nitpickers in the audience, that the cauldron and the ladle have special protection properties, but the helmet doesn't. And then he ladles some of the potion onto the helmet and it melts. And I guess the table also has that magical protection because it doesn't melt through the table. Right? Like, why would you bring it up and then be dumb about it? Also, that poor guard is like, we have to pay for our own armor, man. So the guards take out the special melting juice, which does not come up the way I thought it would. It seems weird. It's like a Chekhov's gun that doesn't really go off this episode. Oh, you're right. I didn't even think about it. Anyway, in the near past, Merlin and Emma are on their way to the place where 
Prometheus brought the fire. Yes. That's the only place where the fire can be summoned. And Emma's talking about how worried she is about the fact that, you know, she ripped out a little girl's heart, so maybe she might just be given into the darkness a little bit. And Merlin's like, well, cut it out. Stop it. Stop it right now. Emma has this whole thing where she's like, tell me there's hope. There's hope, right? There's hope. And he's like, yeah, otherwise we wouldn't be doing this. So in the past, we are in Nimue's village on their way to the place where the spark is, I guess. On their way to the place where Prometheus brought the uh, spark of first fire to Earth. And Nimue is seeing all of her people dead and all of the things burned down and she's feeling survivor guilt, which Merlin helpfully tells her in the future will be called survivor's guilt. Although she cuts him off before he can say it. It's very odd. She cuts him off to say that she's not feeling survivor's guilt. She's feeling survivor's fucking rage. It's kind of funny when they first walk into the village, she's like, see, that's the place I used to live. Or maybe it's there, because everything's rubble. Which comes off kind of like a joke, even though I'm pretty sure it's not supposed to. Yeah, it's it's weird. So, Merlin notices the very odd fact that there's a giant pile of cups in the center of the town. And he's like, oh shit, this dude's looking for the Holy Grail. That's why he murdered everyone in your village. He wanted to see if someone had it. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's just, that's going to be, lots of people have cups, dude. It would make sense, especially if you think about, like, more modern grail stories, that the grail would be hidden as an inconspicuous cup. Mm. To drink a, the plain wooden cup, right? Right, exactly. Merlin uses his vague precognition to see the face of the man who did this, and he sees... That mask we saw the Dark One wearing. This guy must be the original Dark One, eh? Oh yes, that's definitely what's going on. In the near past, the Storybook crew are sneaking into the castle. Uh, One of the various male members of the Storybook crew points out how redonkulously easy this is. And Regina's like, maybe don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Although you really should look a gift horse in the mouth. It might be full of Greeks. At the entrance of the tunnel... Yes. At the entrance of the tunnel, Mary Margaret is still guarding Zelina. And, you know, you're right. I'm sure Mary Margaret can totally handle guarding a... Tied up pregnant woman with no superpowers. Who's crying about how sad she is about Regina taking away her baby. We, we lead this off with Mary Margaret saying, I guess the sun's a problem for you now that you're not green anymore, which strikes me as, like... Is that racist? I don't know what that is. Why would being green mean the sun doesn't affect her? She wasn't a plant when she was green. She didn't photosynthesize, Mary Margaret. Oh, that makes more sense. So this weird foray into green shaming is interrupted by Zelina doing loud theatrical sobs where she's like, why doesn't anyone trust me? I'm only trying to help. And you know, Zelina, maybe you shouldn't cry about losing your baby to the person whose baby you tried to steal. Oh my god, yeah, you literally stole Mary Margaret's baby. This is the wrong audience, you would think. Right, luckily for Zelina, it's not the wrong audience, because if there's one thing Mary Margaret loves more than her baby not being stolen, it's getting to be all superior to people. So she's like, oh, I'm the good person who comforts people even when they were mean to me. That's definitely always gone well for people. She leans down to comfort Zelina with her gentle, 
princessly touch and Zelina just kicks her and knocks her out and I laugh and laugh. You really did. Listeners, it was unseemly the amount that Max laughed at Mary Margot getting taken out by Zelina. Getting taken out by a tied up pregnant woman. We had to pause while he just laughed and laughed. It's pretty funny. When Mary Margaret leans down to comfort her, she asks if Selena's in pain, and Selena's like, Not now that you've shut up. Fair enough. Yeah. Unfortunately, she also says no rest for the wicked, which, can we stop Boo. with the wicked puns? Yeah, it's I'm... not even a pun, it's just a... Can we just stop saying the word wicked? We get it, you're the wicked witch of the West. Get over it. So back in the past, back further in the past, I suppose... Merlin and Imue have come to the place where the first flame is still burning. Now, Merlin takes the cup, and what he's going to do is he's going to turn this cup... So, you'll remember earlier this season when we started talking about it, I let you know that it was going to be important to know that yonic is the word for things that are vagina-like, the way phallic is the word for things that are penis-like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, here's where that's going to come into play. Yes, because uh, Merlin takes the ionic object, the cup, brings it over to the flame. Uh, Merlin turns the cup into a sword. Could we have a less subtle metaphor up in here? He took the cup that when he drank it, it literally gave him the power to create life and turns it into a sword that creates the dark one. The imagery in this season is so heavy-handed, I kind of love it. So, this little ritual, I guess it doesn't get interrupted because Merlin does make the sword, but as soon as he has the sword, that guy with the mask shows up. Yep, the guy with the mask shows up, and and Merlin is like, the cup is gone, there's no reason for you to be here anymore. Like, the sword's not super powerful on its own right. Yeah, I mean... I guess Merlin's right in that he can no longer drink from it and gain immortality and superpowers, but the sword can probably do some pretty cool stuff, dude. Well, I mean, it's going to be the Dark One Dagger, and also apparently whoever holds it rules England, so yeah. The guy with the mask is like, whatever, I'll stab your girlfriend. And he grabs Nimue and stabs her in the back. God, if only she had taken a drink from the Holy Grail, then she would be immune to being stabbed. Well, if only earlier when they were walking through her village and Merlin said, hey, check and make sure the Holy Grail is safe, she had taken that opportunity to take a little sip and and give herself immortality. Yeah, if only she had done that in the brief period where we saw her holding the cup and then it cut away from her and something happened off screen. That would have been really smart of her. That would have been a good move. Sadly, it appears that apparently she is dead. Allegedly, so it would appear. Yep, that is what appears to be the absolute alleged truth. She's just as dead as Zelina. God damn it. So we cut to the same place many years later. So the place is all wrecked up and the fire is conspicuously not there anymore. Merlin says that the Dark One has taken an ember of the fire and stores it inside of itself. So that's why Emma needs to call forth the original Dark One and get the ember from the original Dark One even though presumably what's about to happen will be an illusion because Emma's not actually calling the physical Dark One anyway, Merlin gives her the dagger. We're in sort of a vague area here. This is my favorite, though. Merlin gives her the dagger, and she's like, 
my parents gave you the dagger? And he's like, no, nah, I took it because we needed it. And then she says, is it safe? And he says, of course not. Of course it's not safe. You are the most powerful wielder of dark magic now, and I gave you something that focuses that power. We are very, very much not safe. I literally just handed you the only weapon that could be used against me. But you know what? This is the only way we can get through this, so kill me or don't. I don't want to get too much into last episode, but this is what bravery is, right? Not randomly attacking redheaded girls. Bravery is saying, okay, this thing might kill me, but it's what we need to do. Yeah. So he gives Emma the Dark One dagger, and she holds it out like she's summoning the Dark One. Originally, it shows her name, but then it starts flipping through the names of all of the other Dark Ones. They didn't want to come up with a bunch of different names. It basically cycles through about, I'm going to say, 15 different names. Yeah, the animation is terrible. It looks like an animated slot machine. It really, really does. Also, it's clearly not actual engraving. It really does look animated. The original Dark One shows up wearing that mask, and Emma's like, oh my god, he's the original Dark One? And Merlin's like, uh, Emma, it's the 14th century. Women can be Dark Ones, too. And then, much to no one's surprise, Emma looks at the Dark One dagger and sees that it says Nimue, and the Dark One takes off her mask, and it's it's Nimue. Yeah. But with, like, scaly Dark One makeup on. It's nice to see that Dark One makeup on someone other than Rumpelstiltskin. Not that I don't love Emma's Dark One aesthetic, but I think it does look really cool. Yeah, and I like that it's slightly different from Rumpel's Dark One makeup. So it's not like, how come everyone except Emma had this makeup? It's like, each Dark One is a little different. Wonder what the boar looked like that distinguished it from other giant fire-breathing boars. I, I, yes. So we cut back to the distant past where we see Nimue's dead, deceased body. And the masked man takes off his mask to reveal a whole bunch of scars and weird fake eye. Yeah, I think it's a glass eye because it got sliced with a sword. The point is he's just a guy who's been in a grotesque number of fights. He's not a guy for very much longer, though, because Nimue rips out his heart. From behind! Not enough people who have heart-ripping power take advantage of ripping out the heart from behind. Yeah. Merlin's like, God damn it, you took a drink from the cup. And she's like, yeah, yeah. And then we get a flashback, and we get to see her do it. So, yep. We didn't really need that flashback, did we? No, she could have just said it. We would have understood. Yeah, I mean, Merlin said it, and then she confirmed it. But yeah. then we got to see it. So now we really, really know that she drank from that cup. They established the crap out of the fact that she drank from that cup. And Merlin can't believe she let him watch her die. And she says she needed him to watch her die so that he would understand how much he needed to make her immortal. Yeah. And also, she's still got this guy's heart in her hand. And Merlin's like, hey, you know, if you use magic to kill, it turns you pretty scaly evil. Yeah, he's like, if you kill, killing is something you can't come back from. Are you listening, David? Bullshit. People on the show come back from killing all the time. Anyway, Nimue then does what needs to be done, and she kills the guy by crushing his heart. Look, 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 I get it. Killing is wrong, or whatever. But this guy killed a lot of people. He killed whole villages of people. He killed Nimue. He was trying to kill Merlin. If she didn't kill him, he would kill a lot more people. Honestly, if she had just put his heart back in his body and let him go about his business, she would be guilty of every person who he killed after that, and it would have been a lot of people. See, 
There is a solution, which he didn't offer, but would have been good. You know what she could have done? You talked into his heart and said, go away and never kill anyone again? She could have trapped him in a tree. She could have trapped him in a tree! Although, I don't know if trapping in a tree is inherently less evil than killing. Well, that's a good question. <laughs> I mean, there are lots of things as a magic wielder she could have done to him other than killing that would have been punishment and arguably worse. I mean, this show, they don't tend to have shades of gray in their morality, so I think as long as she didn't kill him, she'd have been okay. Which is weird. David killed a perfectly innocent guy a few episodes back, and it was no big deal. Right? Also, the distinction between killing with a sword and killing with magic is weird. Like, it's less bad that David killed with a sword than that Nimue killed with magic. Oh, speaking of, the eternal flame or whatever goes out when Nimue crushes his heart and reduces to just that little ember because now the magic that is the spark of humanity has been used to kill and pervert it. I think? I think that's what's happening? Yeah, sure, maybe. So, she crushes his heart, the fire reduces to a single flame, and it's kind of cool because the ashes of the heart, because when you crush a heart it turns to ash, and the ashes sort of turn into the weird scaly thing that spreads up her skin. It's a neat effect. Yeah, it is pretty cool. So she grabs the sword, and she's like, you're not cutting away this power. We're keeping this power. Yeah. And then she shatters the sword. She hits it really hard against the uh, stone. Against against the eternal flame basin. Yes. And it splits in two, and she kind of just nopes out of there. She probably should have taken both pieces with her in retrospect. Yeah. Considering what's about to happen. It might have been a good idea. Anyway, in the near past, Emma is talking to Nimue, and Nimue's like, um, drop this loser, you and I form a girl gang, how about it? And, of course, I'm sitting here on the couch like, yes, do that, Emma, do that! Well, no, don't drop Merlin, Merlin's awesome. But he's standing in the way of her girl gang. And Emma's like, oh, I get it. You killed the woman he loved because you were the woman he loved, and then the Dark One took over. I see what's going on here. Emma, we didn't need you to explain that to us, but thank you, Yeah, I guess. We, we really didn't need you to explain it to us, but I guess we appreciate it. They have sort of an awkward standoff. They have an ex-lover smolder off. Yeah. And then Nimue sort of takes control of Emma. Yeah. She, like, magic forces Merlin to the ground. And, and she tells Emma that... The problem with being a powerful woman is that there's going to be a guy who stands there and tells you not to fucking use your power, and no matter how much you love him or how fucking hot he is, you have to kill him. And then she starts choking Merlin, but she clearly does not want to choke Merlin. Yeah, she says it's not her, it's Nimue working through her, and Merlin's like, okay, but if you stop, she'll stop too. Just stop. And Emma's like, oh right, I can not strangle people. Yes. So Merlin tells her that killing's not the way, that it'll make her powerless, and Nimue's like, no, it's the path to power. Although, she's not making a very good case, because using her power has basically just let Nimue take control of her. Well, that's the thing. Nimue doesn't know, I guess, that Emma is also the savior, because she tells Emma, with this power you can protect your loved ones, without it you're nothing. And Emma's like, wait, 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 I'm not nothing! I was the fucking savior, I was, like, the most powerful force for good magic. Like, 
that's bullshit. And that allows her to kind of take control back from Nimue. And she, you know, makes the dagger change from Nimue to Emma Swan, and then she takes the flame from her. And Nimue tells her, look, you took the flame, but I'm still around, so when you decide to go evil... I'll be here. You know where I am. It's kind of neat, because when she gets the flame from Nimue, it's it's a very heart-ripping thing. Yeah, it looks like she's ripping out a heart, and the thing she pulls out is small, like half the size of a normal heart prop. We cut to Emma asking Merlin to fill her in on what happened afterward. And then we see Merlin sinking the sword into the stone back in the past. And then he did some fancy magic on the half of the sword that broke off to turn it into the Dark One dagger so he could... Control Nimue? Limit the damage she could do. Yeah, that's a nice way to say control. Well... We saw how successful he was, so. Fair enough. And then for some reason, she started wearing the mask of the guy who tried to kill her and killed her family. Yeah, I guess... like you do? I don't know. Yeah, I I don't get it. it. It's it's dumb. It's so that we have a reason that she'd be wearing that mask. I guess it's to hide the fact that she's the dark one from people, maybe? I don't know. He's not very clear about it. Yeah. In the little flashback of him telling this story to Emma, he sort of reiterates a lot of the points he made to Nimue, you know, life is made of moments, blah, 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 to his apprentice. He tells his apprentice that, you know, it's better to have loved and had your love turn into the greatest evil on the planet than to never have loved at all. And Emma's like, but, I mean, she's kind of right, right? Like... If you have power, even dark power, you can use it to protect people. And Merlin's like, yeah, but dark power always leads to a slippery slope, and it might be better just to remove this as an option, period. Although Merlin does tell her that he's seen in the future that there might be a person who can have the darkness in them, but control it. Who can have the power, but not actually go evil. So that seed is planted. Yeah, he's like... There is a potential future where that might happen, but that's a really, really heavy burden to place on someone. It's better that we prevent that future and not curse someone to have to deal with that. Yes. Meanwhile, back in Camelot, the storybook crew bursts into the roundtable room to liberate Excalibur, but uh uh-oh, Arthur was totally onto them, and also Mary Margaret's all tied up and Zelina's in on it. Yeah. And Regina's like, oh good, witch fight part two. I totally forgot how that turned out the first time, so I'm excited. Yeah, and she pops a fireball. You won using light magic, might want to lead with that this time. Well, it doesn't matter, because Robin's like, um, she's pregnant with my baby, so don't do that. Eh. Eh. I know. I know. Don't have to tell me twice. Zelina flips through Merlin's Book of Shadows. She finds the spell that he used to turn the Dark One Dagger into the Dark One Dagger, so that she can use that to turn Excalibur into a kind of Dark One Dagger Plus that controls Merlin. Okay, so when we saw Merlin changing the Dark One Dagger into the Dark One Dagger, it was like a really involved process, like he had to dip it in a cauldron and stuff. But she just sort of waves her hand over the sword, and then suddenly it's a dark one dagger, but for Merlin. Oh, come on, Max. There's only six minutes left in this episode. We gotta get it wrapped up. So now Arthur has a Merlin-controlling three-quarter sword. We cut briefly to Emma talking to uh, Merlin about Henry, 
And it's then- hilarious. It's a hilarious scene. Because she's just going on and on about Henry the way parents do. And then Arthur uses the sword to summon Merlin. So she looks over and realizes she's been talking about Henry to no one. What I'm getting from this is that someone really should have picked up on the fact that Belle was kidnapped. By the way, that's, I guess, what Belle's doing this episode. Being kidnapped? Yeah. Yeah, this episode must be happening simultaneously with last week's episode. Yeah. Yeah. So, last week's episode was basically the, there's a more interesting story going on somewhere else. And yet somehow, well, no, that's not fair. This episode is an interesting story. I'm into the story this episode is telling. So, Arthur now has Merlin under his control, and Merlin's basically being the genie in the last part of Aladdin when he's under Jafar's control. Well, I think first he's a little confused. I don't know, he catches on pretty quick. He has to do what Arthur says, so he disarms everybody and Arthur says, make sure they don't hurt me, so we can assume that Merlin will bring his superior magic to bear if they try to magic Arthur. But he's also like, dude, I got the dagger, I got the sword, I got the flame. Can we not put the dagger together and do the thing we were supposed to do? Why are you doing evil things when your stated motivation is the same as mine? Good question, Merlin, right? Good fucking question. Yeah, and Arthur's like, well, no, I'm supposed to do it. The glory's supposed to be mine. And Merlin's like, oh my god, you giant fucking baby. He's like, I'm sorry I couldn't be there for you. I'm sorry I wasn't a good magical tree dad or whatever, but get over your shit. And Arthur's like, no, I'm not getting over my shit. I'm a giant bearded man baby. He has some serious magical tree daddy issues. Yes, he does. He's basically just whining about how he's supposed to be the one to save the kingdom, and he was supposed to be the greatest king ever, and... (sighs) Yeah. And Merlin's like, you're a part of a story. Arthur's like, you told me that there was going to be a great legend of King Arthur, and Merlin's like, what's happening now is that? But you're fucking it up! Yeah, there would be a great legend of King Arthur... Except, you keep doing dumb shit for no reason. Actually, I kind of love the fact that this is just Merlin calling out Arthur for not having good motivations for what he's doing. Here's the thing, it doesn't overcome the fact that the writers should have given Arthur some good motivation. This season is really doing dumb shit for no reason this season. Anyway, modern day storybook. Yeah. We see, as we saw at the beginning of the episode... Emma in her sword basement. Yeah, why is she doing this in a creepy, weird dungeon place? She could just do it in her house. Maybe the sword has to be, like, connected to the earth? Eh. I don't know, Max, that's all I got. So, Nimue pops up and all of the Dark Ones show up to watch her reforge the sword. Which, let me just say, we've had a pretty clear line of Dark Ones... Was there just like a, I don't know, 20-year period where people were going through the dagger like it was going out of style? Yeah, I think people did go through the Dark One dagger really quickly. I think Rumpelstiltskin was an aberration in that he was the Dark One for so long. Mm, I can see that. It's an Elder One situation. Yes. So Emma takes the ember, and honestly, the CGI is fine, but the scene goes on forever of her forging the sword back into one sword. Yes. She forges the sword back into one sword. And it kind of hangs in the air for a while, just long enough for Emma to flash back to the beginning of this season when she was in the movie theater, and Merlin said, don't fuck with the sword. We even get a little clip of the sword in the stone in which Arthur 
lets go of the sword. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was nice. Yeah. And so for a second she's like, wait, maybe I shouldn't fuck with the sword. And then all of the dark ones in her head slash in the room are like, or you could be super powerful. Yeah, they all start chanting, take the power. It's basically like chug, 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 but, you know, dark magic wise. Dark magic, dark magic, dark magic. And Emma's like, oh, right, dark magic. So she's got the sword now, which is basically where we ended the last episode. Yeah, literally what happened in this episode is, from a moving the plot forward perspective, is Emma took the half piece of sword that she had last episode and the dagger that she had last episode and stuck them together. Which seems like a lot because it's been everyone's stated motivation for the whole season, but it only took a second to do, and it's all that was done this episode. Still a good episode, though. Yeah, we got a lot of good backstory. I was interested in the story of Merlin and Imue. They should have spent more time on it. It should have been a reoccurring story thread throughout the first part of this season. I would have liked them to dedicate more than this one episode to them, absolutely. And maybe we could have spent less time on the Storybook crew breaking into the Camelot Castle. Which was deeply, deeply pointless. I know we don't do it anymore, but what the show should have been instead, they should have just cut the Merida stuff and just had it be going between the early Merlin Nimue. Yes, and and they could have even had more episodes focusing on Arthur trying to be a king and building this kingdom with a broken sword. All of that would have given this season more depth, would have fleshed out people's motivations, wouldn't have had to see fucking Merida and her terrible party city wig. This should have had a more unifying story. This story should have been, there should have been one focused plot. I'm glad you said unifying, because this episode was one of the best, and I genuinely think it's because it incorporated the overarching mythology of Once Upon a Time, the Dark One mythology, to the story we've gotten. I think that's part of what made it good. Yeah. But, you know, we're we're ragging on it right now, but really we're ragging on the season as a whole. Just this episode, standalone, very strong. Yeah, this was a very strong, solid, standalone episode. It just seems weird that they... And this is a thing we'll see multiple times. We see it later in the show with Aladdin and Jasmine, where the show will get really good actors who have a really good story and relegate them to, like, either... The margins. Yeah, they're, like, D stories or one-episode plots. Yeah. Honestly, Henry needs to look into the marginalia of his little books. They're w- it's way more interesting. So that's it for this episode. Uh, next episode is uh, season five, episode eight, Birth. Birth. Oh. Uh, so. So look forward to that. Uh, but meantime, we've got Fashion Corner. I don't have anything. Okay, I have one thing. Actually, I have two things. One, Regina is wearing a different half cape she's it's a full cape now she's wearing the same dress but it's got a full cape over it she's wearing a cloak over it yeah and it's got this like really pretty clasp it looks good uh, lana priya can really rock red i'm kind of surprised they don't lean into that they didn't lean into that more before this lana priya looks great is really the dog bites man of our podcast <laughs> but it doesn't stop being true and weirdly enough I really like Snow's outfit this episode. She was wearing a, like, kind of mustard-colored medieval-style dress with a circlet. It it both looked good on her, and the circlet kind of hides all her hair problems. She looked really good this episode. 
right before she got knocked out by a tied up, unpowered pregnant woman. Seriously. So I guess that's it for this week. This show is partially listener supported. If you would like to become one of our patrons, you can do so at our website, ilovetelevisionzines.com. We would like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Cassidy, Alec, Alex, Alicia, and Ryan. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you can always rate and review us on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, head over to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash I love television zines. We can also be contacted at I love TV zines at Twitter or I love television zines at gmail.com. So until next week, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to Storybrooke.